This is Structured Rambling, a podcast about ideas from literature and about literature. Episodes can focus on a single text or a theme from multiple texts. My name is Paul Sonsby. Welcome. Good day to you, gentle listener. Um, this is not a Halloween episode, given that it's being released on December 1st. I thought about doing this in advance of Halloween, because I like to do something monstery around Halloween, but I I had... It's busy. It's a busy time, and I had some, some uh, episodes ready to go, so here we are. Anyways, it's been a bit since I talked about a film, and... Prior to Halloween, uh, I saw a neat little film called Prey by Dan Trachtenberg. It is a prequel to the Predator films and was actually way better than it deserved to be. I streamed it in my own house with my sons because, as I've been saying a lot of late and I hold to, I don't see purpose in going to a movie theater ever again if I can help it. That time in my life is over. Um, I was nine when I saw Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, at a sleepover at a friend's house. Way, way too young for the gore. But it was the 80s. We were watching Rambo and Maximum Overdrive and horror movies. I'm sure it had no long-term effects. That 1987 Predator film is a perfect action movie. A perfect action movie with blends of horror and sci-fi elements. It is a wonderful example of the genre, along with other movies of the same era, like Die Hard, um, which was done by the same director, John uh, McTiernan. Unbelievably. Uh, Terminator 2, that's a great one of these action b- bents with a little bit more of the sci-hard. The sci-hard? Wow. Sci-fi like Predator has. Action is a stupid genre. And so for it to be good, something special has to happen. And throwing in horror or science fiction, blending of genres, that kind of makes it a little bit more interesting a movie. The reason... Arnold Schwarzenegger was the 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 king of the action genre for 20 years is because he picked more of these blends uh, like in Predator, in Terminator, in Total Recall, in Conan uh, than his lesser imitators like Sly Stallone and Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, who just got stuck in the shirtless guy with a gun trope. Not that Schwarzenegger was afraid to show his pecs uh, whilst carrying an M16. Uh, he does it in this movie, but still, sometimes his movies had a little bit more oomph. I'm not saying I'm a big action movie fan. I was a kid, but I do find most of it pretty dull now. But Predator, the original Predator, 35 years on, remains pretty timeless, pretty good. Uh, It's funny because it's connected to the Alien series and likely it was spawned by aliens. Uh, The 1979 Ridley Scott Alien is a very good and very unique movie. It's horror in space. And then James Cameron, uh, the Terminator guy's 1986 sequel Aliens, is in many ways better 
Um, one a film that that becomes the action horror sci-fi blend, uh, and its success made the way, open the door for a film like Predator. Unfortunately, both the Predator and Alien franchises started stumbling once they became franchises. Um, there was never another good Alien movie after Aliens. Predator Two tried some cool things. It set it in a city. Um, it had a black protagonist in 1990. That was pretty special, as special as Sigourney Weaver being a female protagonist in Aliens in 1986, because sadly, that was not the norm, and it still isn't in this genre. But those films just weren't that good. The less said about subsequent subsequent sequels after Predator 2, uh, those that I've even bothered to see, the better. And then they started slamming both franchises up against each other with all the subtlety and art of dumping your toy box. There are two good films in the Alien franchise. There has only ever been one good one in the Predator film franchise. Predator doesn't loan itself to sequels because it's too simple of a concept. There's very little variation, and the best film a filmmaker can do is add more gadgety weapons or add two or three more Predators. Yawn. But funny enough, Prey works. It takes the simple concept and simplifies it even more, and it works. But many of the reasons it works have nothing to do with it being a Predator film. Somewhere in a Hollywood boardroom where a bunch of producers sit around and come up with new ways to squeeze money out of tired old ideas, somehow someone was able to find something original to apply to Alien Hunter Comes to Earth and Hunts Most Dangerous Game. That smarty pants asked what if the Predator was pitted against other renowned hunters, say early 18th century Comanche. You take the infamous alien hunter, the Predator, and you put him against other famous hunters. You limit the human technology, but you also limit the Predator technology a bit, suggesting in the 250 plus years between Prey and the only good Predator movie, the Predators come up with new technology too, such as laser blasters. It's not the first attempt at reconceptualizing the simplistic Predator concept. Uh, 2010's Predators sees a bunch of nasty folks hunted for sport by multiple Predators on a prison planet. Um, It's kind of like Aliens uh, meets the Hunger Games. But why Prey actually works is it doesn't try to do too much. That and the simple accident because the best parts of the movie have little to do with the Predator. Somehow, the producer, writer, and director became moderately sensitive to indigenous culture in this stupid movie. And it's not a stupid movie. Stupid should have been a stupid movie. Not Comanche culture per se, but Comanche culture as representative of the whole of North American indigenous culture. You see the scraping of buffalo hides, the using of the forest to provide medicine and building materials. You see the hunting of, uh, of animals and the celebration of the kill. The first 30 to 40 minutes of this movie are the best part with almost no appearance of the predator at all. The protagonist is uh, Naru, 
played by Amber um, Midthunder. And it's a rare moment where an indigenous lead is actually played by an indigenous actor. Wow, good job, Hollywood. Way to enter the 1960s in 2022. Uh, Midthunder's performance and character as Naru grounds this movie. It's one of the things that make it a better movie than it should be. The concept is a touch cliche, a woman who wants to be a hunter in a patriarchal society. But it's only so important. They don't dwell on it too much. Uh, There are a couple of mild eye rolls when she chooses to go hunt with the men rather than gather and and go out and collect berries with the women. But this could have been skipped because it's not really explored. All evidence reports that most indigenous cultures were traditionally patriarchal with clearly defined masculine and feminine roles. The attempt to lamely address this but then sidestep it before it gets too serious could have been better um, if it wasn't just ignored. Anyways, Naru's special, she hunts, there you go. Get over it. She's got a axe with a rope on the handle and can retract it almost. Her relationship with her brother, uh, Tabu, is one of the, the fine bits of characterization in this movie. He is the great hunter. He kills the lion she fails to kill early on, but he is understanding of her and supportive of her. And he returns to the teepee village with the lion's head. There's a celebration and dancing, but he seeks out his sister to make her feel better. We are drawn to this character. And in a stupid predator movie, we have a nice little sister-brother dynamic that feels fresh. Best of all, their depictions is not just an example of the so-called noble savage. And that is in quotation marks. Please don't sue me. I'm quoting... Uh, a, a concept that predates me. In presenting marginalized groups in a positive light, Hollywood tends to go all in on showing a people's greatness without allowing them to be that, people, flaws and all. But in this case, uh, a few of the other hunters are jerks compared to Tabe. I think it's Tabe. I think I said Tabu before. Sorry, he he's, he's not Tabu. You can talk about him. Anyways, Uh, Finally beating Naru up before they're interrupted by the Predator and this movie, you know, actually gets into what it was supposed to be about. Uh, Some of my favorite moments involve these young hunters, including Tabi, attacking and succumbing to the Predator. Uh, In the face of his nearly supernatural abilities, they scream their war cries and attack with spears and arrows. I love this. Maybe I love it too much. It's just such a nice contrast with army guys and cops freaking out with machine guns. As is often the case in movies like this, enemies become allies in the face of the greater threat. Naru and Tabe encounter some French fur traders who serve several, though all simple, purposes in the film. In a scene loudly reminiscent of Dances with Wolves, but in fairness, probably you know, clearly from history, Naru finds a field of waste where dozens of slaughtered buffalo lay and the only part of them used is their hide. Yes, we've seen it before. Yes, it's a cliche. But white hunters did eradicate the most plentiful North American species and the main indigenous food source. So yeah, it might be overused, but it's also true and it's also accurate. These French... I suppose accurate and true are synonyms, but it's worth being redundant when you're pointing out the atrocities committed 
by settlers. Uh, these French fur traders are also almost comically villainous. And so they're cannon fodder. We delight in watching them get stupidly massacred. Maybe it's too simplistic, but after nearly a century of simplistic and inaccurate depictions of the indigenous on screen, often as played by white actors in dark face and dark hair, um, we can handle a little stereotyping the other way. If you don't laugh when that one trader shoots the predator in the helmet at point-blank range only to be killed by the ricochet, then friend, you might not have a soul. That is funny. So, the French get slaughtered and the few young Comanche warriors die nobly. In the end, Nauru is victorious, though her final victory calls for her to understand the predator's technology uh, and use it upon him which I find a touch hard to digest given that she's from a bow and arrow culture. But whatever. She's a smarty pants. She figures it out. Get on with your life. She's the first Comanche warrior to invest in a retractable tomahawk technique. So why can't she come up with ways to use a space alien's helmet against it? For the nerds, there are a few fun callbacks. Naru is given the na the same pistol that Danny Glover's character will, will be handed at the end of Predator 2. That gun has a story and is amazingly well-maintained for almost 300 years. Uh, Tabe quotes Arnold when he says, If it bleeds, we can kill it. Which makes a lot more sense coming from a Comanche hunter and tracker than it does an American commando who for some reason has an Austrian accent. But Arnie's accent was the ultimate cinematic suspension of disbelief in the 1980s, so we'll just get past it. When Aru is facing off alone against the alien, she defeats him by using the same hidden swamp she nearly dies in earlier in the film. She lays against a tree root yelling, Do it! Do it! Again, as a callback to Arnie's, Kill me! Come on! From the original movie. Less believably, she's able to avoid being seen by consuming a flower that instantly lowers her body temperature rather than just using mud like Arnie did. Weird. But then I guess it was another nod to the indigenous relationship with the natural world that this film is full of. Sadly, there's no appearance of the most famous line from the original film, Get to the chopper! Which, sure, is going to be hard to insert into a movie that predates flight, but it wouldn't be that tough. Have her come back from a hunt, um, um, say, can anybody help me butcher this deer? And her mom say, oh yeah, Jimmy will help you. You know, Jimmy over there in the butchery tent, go ahead, take that deer, get to the chopper. Wouldn't have been that tough. Anyways, um, the moment that she kills the creature, her Comanche war whoop is much cooler than any bicep flexing handshake with Carl Weathers in the first movie. So she does have that going for her. The title is a funny choice. Yes, there's a theme of hunters becoming hunted. The predator keeps killing wolves and bears and warriors that have just killed something weaker. It's kind of to show the hierarchy. Naru, a hunter, hunts and is hunted. But prey? Other than being the obvious antonym of the word predator, this isn't really a movie about prey. I was expecting the story to be about a predator biting off more than his mandible face can chew, hunting a hunting culture, but that's not the case. It's still a predator massacring lesser mortals until he encounters someone with just enough toughness, resilience, creativity, and dumb luck to bring him down. 
Whatever. Naru is by far the best protagonist in a Predator movie, so I can handle it. She's she's far more interesting than anybody else. All right. 1987's Predator is a masterpiece of a fairly lame film genre. It is it is a picture, a photograph of what we were experiencing in the late 80s where army guys were always the heroes running around with machine guns. Jungles were helpful places to set things up. Um, but depth wasn't a thing. It was too simple a concept to breed competent sequels. But as I said at the beginning, this installment, Prey, is far better than it should be. Sadly, I think it was just good enough to be ruined by sequels to it. Naru's great. She will get to come back and be ruined by the Hollywood money-making machine. What really should happen is, well, no more sequels at all, ever. But failing that, use the success of Prey to teach people other cultures. You can't get people interested in history and culture? Set famous film franchises in those cultures and maybe they'll, you know, pick up the odd thing. Uh, Let's have predators landing in the African savanna or Australian grasslands. Ancient Sparta, xenomorphs in the, Reson- in the Renaissance in Florence. Uh, you could have Pennywise haunting Shakespeare and Christopher Mar- Marlowe. Um, maybe this is how we solve the education crisis, by teaching people history via Hollywood bro- blockbuster franchises. Uh, Nightmare on Fleet Street, Friday the 13th, 1292. I think I'm on to something here. I want to thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed my podcast, please feel free to give me a rating and review. Episodes come out at the beginning and middle of pretty much every month. Have a great day.